Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and I first want to thank you all for giving me that time off here from the podcast. I was still sending out the newsletter, but I was taking a break from the podcast because that takes a little bit more effort to some extent. So I took that time off to end the summer, but we're back in full effect. No angry emails why I was gone. So I... I do appreciate that. No doubt about that. And the best thing about the three-day weekend is that now here we are, only our second day into the work week, and we only have, what, three days left. It's the best part. Halfway through. We're halfway through the work week. That's the best part about the three-day weekend. All right, we're going to start with some good news. We got some good news to start the program. Home prices up 18% in July. That is according to the latest CoreLogic Home Price Inset Insight report, not inset, insight report or insect, whatever you thought I said, (laughs) supposed to be insight report. Year over year home prices nationwide increased 18% in July compared, of course, with July 2020. And as always, just as impressive, month over month gains 1.8% from July until June. Dr. Frank Notheft Chief economist for CoreLogic said this was the biggest month CoreLogic has ever seen in its history. And they didn't start doing this, you know, at the end of the last crash, like some other, uh, which, by the way, we love all all those reports, too. But they've been doing this for 45 years. Nothaf said in a statement, quote, July's annual home price growth was the most that we have seen in the 45-year history of the CoreLogic Home Price Index. This price gain has far exceeded income growth and eroded affordability. In the coming months, this will temper demand and lead to a slowing in price growth. So yes, once again, as we always note here on the podcast, when home prices go up, it's great if you're a homeowner, not good if you're somebody trying to buy a home. And when prices are skyrocketing at record levels, it's really bad to be a homeowner. And at some point you start pricing a lot of people out of the market. And that's why Dr. Frank Nothaft is saying, hey, listen, this is going to catch up to us. And I will point out, There is an argument being made. I will say that I think Bill Clark over at Calculated Risk, that's his blog, he has said that July is probably going to be the peak. I think his prediction was like June, July, but most part, I think July is when people think the peak happened, and now we're slowly kind of working our way down the other side of the hill. Now, that doesn't mean that prices are going to drop. They're just not going to be increasing at a year-over-year basis of 18%. So we're still going to be seeing growth, just not record growth. We finally reached the peak. We'll see. We'll see in August. if that, Or I should say we'll get August data in October, and then we will know for sure. Now, looking forward, like I said, Cora Logic isn't predicting a decline in home prices, but they are forecasting a slowdown. Year-over-year, they are projecting July 2022, 2.7% percent annualized increase. That's a big change. I mean, right now we're seeing what 1.8% increases month to month. They're only going to see 2.7% year over year. Now that being said, I do want to also make this point that usually what that means is that we are going to see a couple month over month declines in order to get that 2.7 because right now, I mean, right now we're seeing two, three, 4% month over month growth. 
So more than likely, you're going to see a couple negative months here and there. But overall, for the year, it will be up. But we could see month-to-month decline. So keep that in mind. Uh, Now, month-to-month, as I just mentioned, they are projecting a slower increase, only 0.7% in August of 2021. Now, I will also note that CoreLogic has kind of missed the mark on their month-to-month predictions. So we'll see if they did well in this one. Um, Also, it should be noted, the report also takes a look at risk indicators for certain areas where we could see price declines in the next 12 months. I won't get into too many of those, but those are available in the report. And of course, the report linked to in my companion morning newsletter. If you haven't signed up for that, of course, you can do so by going to markets and mortgages.com. Now, some more good news. We're just going to keep going with the good news here as we are welcome back here on the podcast. Total loans and forbearance fell, I can't say, unfortunately, for the 27th week in a row. They fell for 25 weeks in a row, and then last week, flat. (laughs) So it wasn't an increase, but it wasn't a decrease. So it's kind of in this weird place where it's it hasn't risen for 27 weeks in a row, but it hasn't declined for 27 weeks in a row. But last week it was flat. This week we saw a two basis point drop to 3.23% for the week ending August 29th. And that means 1.6 million homeowners are now in forbearance plans, at least according to the Mortgage Bankers Association's estimates. Now, looking at each stage, 10.6% of total loans and forbearance are in the initial stage. 81.2% are in forbearance extensions, and the remaining 8.2% are reentries. Now, the Mortgage Bankers Association Senior Vice President and Chief Economist Mike Frantantoni said, we are moving in the right direction. We're just moving a little slower than we have been, saying, quote, the share of loans and forbearance decreased by two basis points last week, with both new requests and exit remaining at a slow pace as we reached the end of August. And unfortunately, I can't say 27 weeks in a row, the, the total amount of loans and forbearance has fallen. But like I said, I can say for 27 weeks in a row, that number hasn't risen, which I will take as without a doubt good news and more and more people uh, reach the end of forbearance. The smaller that number is, the better off the housing market will be. Not that 1.6 million is really going to cause that big of a number. Considering where we are with regards to the housing shortage, which brings us to probably the only bad story that I saw yesterday. And it actually wasn't from yesterday. It was from the week before. There was a piece by Yuri Berliner at NPR who was talking about the housing shortage, which we have covered many times here on the podcast. And he noted that we are looking overall, according to the latest data, anywhere from a two to four million home shortage across the country. So like I said, 1.6 million. Well, that would be a big number, which of course it wouldn't all happen at the same time. And there's a lot of programs out there for people uh, and options. I should say not programs, but options out there. And we got the Biden administration doing things. And so it would never be 1.6 million. But even if it was, we need 4 million homes. So 1.6 would not even be half of what is necessary. But here's the real problem. This is what Berliner talks about, is that while the 4 million overall home shortage is a problem, it doesn't hold a candle 
to the starter home situation. Berliner points out that in 1982, 40% of the country's newly constructed homes were entry-level homes. By 2019, that number has now dropped, has now dropping, has now dropped to 7%. And the big question a lot of people have, there's obviously demand for starter homes, hence the shortage. There are people that want it and can't find it. So why aren't starter homes being built? Well, Berliner points out that there's actually a fair amount of agreement among builders, housing advocates, and policy wonks on this very issue. But here's the problem. There's a lot of problems with this particular issue. For example, in the short term, there's the high price of building materials, which makes sense, right? I mean, wood is wood. And so if you're going to be building a house, why not build it a little bit bigger and a little bit more luxurious and charge a little bit more for that home, or I should say a lot more, and your profit margin is bigger. Building starter homes when you're looking at material costs, it may make sense to build a 2,800 square foot house versus a 1,400 square foot house because you can make that much more money. You're not gonna make a ton of money on starter homes. So rising material cost inflation that we're seeing right now is having a problem. Now, longer term zoning regulations, which we have discussed many a times here on the podcast, discourage construction, not to mention opposition from local residents to increased housing density, the NIMBYs out there. And Berliner also discusses the role rising land costs have on discouraging starter home development and the impact that luxury amenities have on home costs. And I think it's the same thing with with um, uh, new cars. I recently bought a new car and I was amazed at what I was able to get as sort of like a baseline in a car, like what's standard in a car today. But at the same time, I also realized that's why a brand new car, even at the lower level, costs so much money because every you can't sell a car without bells and whistles nowadays. You have to have, you know, backup cameras and a LCD screen and blind spots and sunroofs and all these other things that 10 years ago were crazy luxuries. And now it's kind of standard, but that raises the cost of a car. Same thing in housing. Everyone wants nice countertops. Everyone wants nice showers and a lot of things that back in the day you only saw in upper level homes. Now people want in mid and entry level. And the problem is you can't put those in entry levels and then charge entry level prices. And so you have people who are like, oh, I want an entry level home. But if it's more basic, they're like, oh, maybe I don't. And that there's a there's a there's a psych problem there. And I'm not saying it's like, you know, they're, they're psych, they're psych, there's something psychologically wrong with you. But there is something to that sort of um, psychology w- without a doubt. So there's a lot of issues. Highly recommend you read the piece, like I said, over at NPR and in the newsletter, as always. And on that, oh, actually, no, before we go, I was going to say on that note, we got to go. Uh, let you know what's happening today. We got mortgage rates and demand. We got that data dropping from the Mortgage Bankers Association at 7 a.m. And then we're also going to be getting job opening numbers. Uh, for those that don't know, yesterday is when the unemployment extended unemployment benefits dropped off. And I have a feeling we're going to see a very high number because this is for last month. It'll be interesting to see what happens over this month. Many people have argued that these extended benefits have led to people not 
going and seeking work. And so pay attention to what today's number says and then a month from now and see if that really was the determining factor. Well, we'll have an answer to that question in only a month's time. But you don't have to wait another month for another podcast. I'll be back Thursday morning. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.